Oregon Supreme Court on Friday turned back legislative efforts to cut cost-of-living raises that the state had promised thousands of Oregon employees and retirees in their retirement contracts. The state now has to find hundreds of millions of dollars to fill the hole paying those benefits will create in just a few years. And at least in these early days after the court's decision, it looks like the state's school budget will be absorbing that hit in terms of reduced revenue until and unless lawmakers come up with something else. The 2013 grand bargain included the compromise that was intended to address the problem the Public Employee Retirement System, or PERS, funding was making for the state budget. I interviewed 70 candidates for executive, legislative, and judicial office in Oregon in 2014. A handful of them either returned to public office or entered it for the first time. I asked that group about Oregon's public employees' retirement system and the state's efforts to address what many saw as inequities in the way benefits were paid to some state retirees. Here's a look back at what those legislators had to say about PERS. You'll first hear Senator Elizabeth Steiner Hayward, then Representative Alyssa Kenny Geyer, followed by Representative John Huffman, Senator Kim Thatcher, Senator Ted Ferrioli, Representative Mike Nearman, and finally, Representative Jeff Reardon. We've had to make some tough decisions in this state. Um, I had some very forthright conversations about our votes on the uh, uh, restructuring of the public employee retirement system, and we have to balance a lot of different things. But my bottom line is, and I think the unions recognize this, which is why they continue to endorse me and to support my campaigns, that unions play a critical role in protecting the rights of workers and making sure that we do our best to get every Oregonian a living wage job. Yeah, PERS is a really, really hard uh, situation and has really kind of torn us up in the legislature in the last session in particular, in 2013, the, the regular session as well as the grand bargain special session that we had. Um, I think that the PERS uh, unfunded liability is a challenge for several reasons. One, the most obvious is in 2008, we had a huge stock market crash, and we lost approximately 27% of the value of PERS. So the unfunded liability, the, the amount that um, local governments and our school systems and state government needed to pay in order to meet the, the liability of paying all the retiree benefits um, became much more huge. And that just meant that a much bigger percentage of these budgets had to now go to PERS, funding the PERS fund, um, as opposed to funding current services and current employees. But there were some other issues too. One of that is that when the PERS did their actuarials um, years ago, people didn't live as long and people are living longer now. So that factors into it. And lastly, I think there were some bad decisions that were made a long time ago, and I understand now that I'm in the legislature the pressure to meet the current year budget. And many years ago, um, I believe that we made some mistakes, the legislature made some mistakes in the mid-'80s when they approved both money match, which meant that the amount that instead of having a defined benefit, the amount that you had at the end of your retirement when you called on your retirement got doubled, in addition to we had something called excess crediting, which um, you said you would get at least 8% um, of returns every year. But if the stock market did really well, you would get an addition to that. So for instance, if the stock in years that the stock market maybe went made 16%, maybe you'd get 14%, and they'd put 2% away for a rainy day fund. But on the other hand, when, when years didn't do so well, you still got the 8%. So the combination of those two things 
um, really, you know, created part of this problem. And I think what happened in terms of, you know, for employees is they felt like, well, we're getting really decent retirements in return for not having a lot of raises in our salary. So again, I think this goes back to the legislature. I do not put this on the retirees at all. Uh, I, I put it on the legislature, who at the time said, well, okay, you know, we'll, we'll, we think that we can pay for that down the line 10, 20, 30 years from now, but that holds our state budgets down now. So I think that there were some bad decisions made back then, but frankly, um, a, a lot of those decisions are contractual and we have to live with them. So the question is how do we, how do we pair it back in a way that is most fair? Um, I argued very strongly to try to pair it back at the very top, people who made over 60000 in particular. Um, I would have been in favor if we had started a new Tier 4, the, something like Jerry Brown did in 2012 in um, in California, where he actually capped any PERS retirements at 132000 I don't think that we need to be paying people more. I think you have a three-legged stool. You have, um, you have Social Security aimed at keeping people out of uh, poverty in their older age. You have PERS benefits, trying to keep people in the middle class. And if you're making that much money in a, in a salary, that means that you'd be making over 132000 in PERS, or even over 100000 you could be starting a private as a third-legged stool. So um, I've always cared about closing disparities. I think the hard thing about the PERS um, well, the other piece of, of trying to make it as fair as possible was I've, I had hoped that we could go further in protecting people at the bottom. I think we we made some headway there. Um, the second thing was in the formula, attaching some kind of COLA for every year worked because you want to make sure that you're really protecting the people who receive lower benefits because they may have worked for many years in the system but at a lower salary. I did not want to have just protecting lower benefits of twenty or 30000 but that could be from perhaps OHSU doctors who made a really high salary for five years and then went off into private practice or moved out of state. So um, I, again, I am saddened that we weren't able to have something in the formula that said a COLA for every year worked. However, there was, as part of the legislation in the grand bargain, a, um, a task force that's been set up to study that, and I hope that they will factor that into the formula. So aside from trying to pull back pair, pair back PERS in some way that is the most fair way possible. I also um, strongly advocated for shared sacrifice, that people who, that part of closing this gap and fully funding our public sector services and honoring the commitment to our retirees um, should come off the backs of the people who make the most money people who make over 100000 from wherever, from the private sector, the public sector. And uh, I was very disappointed in um, both sessions, both the regular 2013 session and the special session of 2013, that we were not as able to go as far as we wanted in that. We made some very small tax reforms that um, do require a bit more of a payment from individual earners and corporations, but nowhere near what I thought it needed to be. But I am hoping that we get different players on the field in 2015 and really tackle tax reform, not only from an adequacy and stability point of view, but also from a fairness point of view. I keep a really close eye on what other states are doing. I have supported the um, small PERS reforms that we have done in Oregon this year, uh, watching with interest to see what uh, the Supreme Court comes up with, if they're going to uphold. The Oregon Supreme Court. Yes, the Oregon Supreme Court uphold the PERS reforms that we passed. 
during the special session or not, the jury, so to speak, is still out on that. So, so we'll see if that that effort um, was worthwhile or not. Again, I, I kind of go back to the balance approach. When I look at state employees, um, all all state employees are not equal. We have some state employees making twenty some thousand dollars a year, and we have some state employees making uh, six figures. And so, when you look at PERS reform, I, I'm extremely cautious because I, I think you can you can cripple the lower income state employees. One answer, one size fits all, is is usually not going to be the answer when it comes to PERS reform. But one of the frustrations that that I have had, and I've been vocal about uh, being a Ways and Means member, is that when it comes to supplying the money, appropriating the money to state agencies um, or K-12 money that ends up getting divided up into school districts, you know, all of these entities have done their own collective bargaining. They have made their own agreement in how much they're going to increase employee benefits. But at the end of the day, at the end of the biennium, they come back to me with their handout and say, well, here's our budget and we need to fill this. So that's the only time until really this year that I've had a voice in how much we pay out. A big part of our PERS problem has been with local school districts. And so I've wondered, you know, is that an area that maybe we should have statewide collective bargaining where there's one focal point of responsibility where, you know, we've shifted after ballot measures 5 and 50 where the legislature is responsible through the general fund of supporting most of the K-12 budget where prior to those it was uh, a lot more of it came out of the local tax base. So... When it comes to collective bargaining and benefits and meeting the state budget, uh, I do think we can do better. And I would like to look at areas that maybe we can get more of a common sense approach to meeting budgets. I am big on contract issues, but in general, I'm just saying, when it comes to contract issues, if you're going to change a contract, it needs to be changed on both sides. It needs to be have consideration. And so that the other side is agreeing to it. It is ugly. Unfortunately, I think a lot of the things that would have been best to do should have been done a long time ago and perhaps can't be undone now. And so I think we are perhaps headed that direction. I don't know. I don't know the big answer on that. I know that there were, there were many, um, ideas floated during this last session and I think there were some good ones. Yeah. I think, I think the big, the word of the day is caution. <laughs> Caution in the policies and caution in the changes that we make. Well, Don, you're asking a question, I think, that has been um, neglected and not very well explored in Oregon. Uh, I'm sure your listeners are well aware of what's happening in Chicago right now, or Detroit, excuse me, Detroit. You know, what you're really referring to, Don, is what's the duty of a legislator when faced with contracts and obligations to workers? but a social contract with taxpayers and citizens in communities. And so, you know, what I think we tried to do is find a balance. Um, you can say that we balanced the budget on the backs of the workers. That is a phrase I've seen on bumper stickers. Uh, it's been sent to me in emails and even yelled in my face. I mean, I, I understand how that feels. Uh, but I also would tell you that uh, the Oregonians in the legislature, both in the House and the Senate, 
Democrats and Republicans, uh, determined that an 8% guarantee was unsustainable and that if we were going to um, guarantee that in the future we would be able to fund all of our obligations under the current pension structure, we had to collect a little more from uh, the, the beneficiaries so that long-term it would be sustainable. None of that's easy. But the larger obligation is to make sure the system doesn't collapse. I think one of the things with PERS is is that the, the bleeding has been stopped. There's PERS Tier 1. We don't have any new employees signing up with that. So we're going we're gonna to have to pay the piper down the road. And as far as us being Detroit or anything like that, I don't think it's going to be that bad. I sure hope it's not going to be that bad. But it's gonna, it's gonna, we're going to have to pay the piper on it, and there's nothing that we can do. We do have to fulfill those contracts. That's, that's of course, we have to do that. Some people might say that was an attack on PERS. In, in my district, when I walked around, I, went, I would go from one door, and they're saying, please don't ever touch PERS. I'm retired. It's, uh, you know, just leave it alone. I'd go across the street, I'd talk to somebody else, and I'd say, we have to do something about that. When we got into uh, the grand bargain, that was the toughest decision I ever had to make. I had a choice. I could either um, cut the increases that would have come to PERS employees or retirees or uh, help put a little more money back into the classroom. And I had to vote for the kids. So it's not a fun situation when you have to choose between old retired folks, some of them like me, and uh, and kids. What are you What are you going to do? It's just not not a great situation. So I made my vote to um, support the uh, grand bargain, which also not only helped the kids. By the way, I want to remind people that it uh, also more money went back into uh, some seniors programs for seniors and uh, mental illness programs as well. So a lot of benefit to that, that people kind of they focus on one part, cutting some of the PERS benefits, and then forget that there was the rest of this package. That was, in order, Democratic Senator Elizabeth Steiner Hayward from District 17, Democratic Representative Alyssa Kenny Geyer from District 46, Republican Representative John Huffman from District 59, Republican Senator Kim Thatcher from District 13, Republican Senator Ted Ferrioli from District 30, Republican Representative Mike Neerman from District 23, and Republican Representative Jeff Reardon from District 48. As you heard, there was a general consensus last year that the legislator had fixed this problem regarding PERS, but with the recent Oregon Supreme Court decision, a decision that surprised many lawmakers, it is a reminder that in politics, nothing is a sure thing. I'm Don Merrill, KBOO News.